talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. This is Hamilton Today. Ted Michelson for Scott Thompson. And, uh, well... We are continuing to monitor the skies. It does not look pleasant out there. And some areas around here, for example, Burlington, the people there in Halton area have been warned to basically take cover because right now they could get hit by a really nasty weather system. Severe thunderstorm watches in effect for Toronto and for Hamilton and Niagara and Oxford and Brant and London, I know, the same situation, so we could be getting a respite from the bitterly hot temperatures, but it is going to be a little nasty in some spots because of the weather, so just... uh just beware that that weather could be coming relatively soon. Now, coming up on the program today, kind of a hodgepodge, which is actually kind of interesting. Uh, then a little bit later, uh, a few minutes from now, we'll be talking about the uh, the Fringe Festival at Hamilton, the annual Fringe Festival, and why it's back and what it is and why everybody's so happy about it. Uh, because, uh, well, they've got a new location and what they're doing, and we'll talk about that uh, coming up a little bit uh, in a couple of minutes. Now, on the other side of the 3.30 break, crops in southwestern Ontario are being affected by the abnormally dry, hot heat. Now, it is a serious uh, situation, but how serious is it, and what can be some of the problems that this could cause? Well, we'll find out. A professor in the Department of uh, the Plant Agriculture from the University of Guelph will be joining us. What are we doing as far as the heat in Hamilton, which is affecting us, not only here, but in uh, in various parts of the province and across the country as well? Well, we'll hear from uh, somebody from the Public Health Services of the City of Hamilton coming up a little bit uh, later on. And then... Um, changing gears a little bit coming up after four o'clock this afternoon we will be talking about going for a run and there are people that are you know why are you doing this why are you going for a run why are you riding your bike why are you doing anything in this hot weather what kind of damage can it cause to you well our running guru we use uh, the services of him and talk to him as much as we can john stanton the owner of the running room will be talking about exercising Staying healthy when the weather is sweltering hot. Another story we're watching, and a news conference is going to be held at about 3.30 this afternoon out in Regina. There is uh, now, well, there is concern about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and their situation because as of right now, they have now 10 players that have tested positive and are in various stages of COVID protocol. They had six yesterday. They're up to 10. The team is not practicing. They didn't practice yesterday, and they did not practice today. They're following COVID protocols right now, and this is what they're saying. Right now, they are not going to uh, make any decision on uh, tomorrow's practice or this weekend's game against the Argonauts, which, of course, if they cancel that game, it kind of creates a whole bunch of, well, scheduling uh, dilemmas. What do you do? Uh, players time off, players rest. And, of course, does this mean that uh, COVID is probably still a part of our lives? I would suggest to you that it probably is. 
And, uh, well, we'll find out because the Rough Riders are holding a, a news conference uh, at 3.30 this afternoon. And we'll get some of the audio from that uh, and play it a little bit later on this afternoon. Rough Riders Vice President of Football Operations, Jeremy O'Day, will be speaking to the media. We'll get the uh, update. We'll have the absolute update on what's going on as far as the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Not a, not a uh, nice situation, not a, not a pleasant situation at all. Six players yesterday, ten players today. It seemed a lot of the problems came when they played out east and touched down Atlantic. And there are, there's talk that maybe a lot of the players got infected on the flight coming back from Halifax to Regina. So we'll see what happens, uh, you know, what they talk about, what they can share with us, and uh, we'll see the situation as it pertains to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but certainly not a very uh, happy situation. And uh, all the wa- actually just just in as well. Speaking of Saskatchewan Rough Riders, they have imposed the CFL as close uh, discipline, a one-game suspension. And you wondered where this happened. If you saw the uh, the uh, video of it before the uh, during the game, before the game, Rough Riders receiver Shaq Williams took a helmet, his helmet. Actually, took an opponent's helmet and threw it at him. Shaquille Richardson is facing the league's maximum fine for initiating the confrontation. This all happened during the pregame warm-up, so Richardson kind of started it. Williams, uh, Duke Williams, took the helmet uh, from his head, uh, the player's head, and threw it at him, and later punched Williams during the game. So it, it just uh, when it comes to Saskatchewan, they're getting into all kinds of trouble with a player being suspended for four games for the hit uh, on uh, Jeremiah Masoli, and now this. So that's uh, that's the update. And also, as we mentioned, it is going to get very, very wet in the next little while. Thunderstorms on the way, and uh, we'll keep an eye on that. By the way, the online poll question, and we kind of talked about this yesterday, and uh, glad to see that the results are actually what I thought they would be. Yesterday, the online poll question at 900CHML.com, which league has the best all-star game? Major League Baseball, 54%. NHL, 29%. NBA, 14%. And as I suggested, the NFL, 3% thought it had the best all-star game. Terrible all-star game. Today's online poll question, Premier Ford expected to give greater American-style powers to the mayors of Toronto and Ottawa. So the question becomes, should mayors be given greater authority over how their cities operate? You can vote on Twitter at 900CHML.com. So we'll have a lot of information about a lot of different topics, weather and COVID and some of the uh, news about happening with the cities all coming up here on Hamilton today on the 900 CHML and also our friends at 980 CFPL in London. And coming up in just a moment, we'll be talking about uh, some of the stuff going on with the weather and talking about um, some of the problems that have been caused by the extreme heat and lack of rain. Tonight is the start of the 2022 Hamilton Fringe Festival. 
which takes place every July across uh, the city of Hamilton. And there's more theater and dance and music ever before. 350 performances, 14 stages, 60-plus artistic companies. And tonight is the official kickoff. And both of the guys who are involved in this program Show content producer Will Erskine and uh, technical producer Will Weber are both taking part in the Fringe Festivals in one form or another. So, gentlemen, I defer to you because when it comes to the Fringe Festival, I admit I really don't know a heck of a lot. So thanks for joining us. Well, hey, <laughs> thanks for having us both. Uh, take it, Yeah, taking part because we're, we're both huge uh, theater fans. Yep. This is a very artistic uh, community we he- have here at 900 CHML. We don't get to get into it as much on air. We're very cultured, aren't we, Ted? Yeah, well, you, you said, look, yeah, yeah, I got culture, yep. Okay, so so let's first of all talk about the name Fringe Festival. I, It, it means, obviously, on the fringe of something, yeah. but kind of talk about that whole concept. So what happened is, I think it goes back, it's uh, 1947, back in uh, Edinburgh, when they had the, uh, the Edinburgh International uh, uh, Theater Festival happening way back then, and a group of like uh, eight, eight um, I think it was about eight groups, eight theatrical theater groups of just like amateurs whatever we're like hey you know what if people are going to edinburgh to see a show let's just go on in there and we'll do our own festival right in the middle we're just going to do our own guerrilla style thing and that's how the edinburgh fringe festival got started and it just became an annual tradition it's the largest in the whole world and then as you can tell we have fringe festivals all across the world all across europe north america wherever and hamilton's has always been a a, a ton of fun and the thing that's happening tonight is the kickoff event. And a lot of people might be wondering, well, what's a kickoff event going to be for a theater festival? Yeah, listen to all the numbers Ted throws out there. The amount of shows, the amount of performers, the things he can take in. How do you kick that off? And I think it's a great idea. I'll ask you first, though, Weber. Have you ever been... You've been to the kickoff. You've gotten to see what this is like in the past, right? Not the kickoff, no. No! Oh, (laughs) well, then it's my pleasure to tell you about this. So what they do, Ted, Weber... Uh, they bring out a bunch of the performers, people from the different groups. They get 60 seconds on stage, and this is going to be an outdoor stage outside Theater Aquarius, 190 King William Street. And it's just like, like for me, one of the best parts of going to the movies is when you catch all the cool trailers ahead of time. But this is on a stage. This is live. They can rework their show. They can come up with a different way to give you a 60-second teaser, something that grabs your attention. And, and it, you know, they get really, really creative seeing how the different performances, because you get so many things. You get very straight, like, uh, you know, multi-person cast productions. You get, you know, monologue shows. You get improvised shows. There's a lot of improv comedy or improv drama taking place this year. And then there's all sorts of other, like, dance and movement workshop type things. So getting the chance to see these artists condense their work down to 60 seconds, you get bang, 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 so many different types of entertainment right there outdoors tonight. I know it's going to be hot, but it's the evening, so it's cooling down a little bit. And then afterwards, they got music, they got dancing, and it all becomes a whole party outside. So does this mean that I can kind of go on stage and say, okay, guy go, goes into a bar? No, I guess not. Huh? <laughs> well, you know what? you got to sign up. They actually, I mean, take a peruse through the website because they have all sorts of interactive events happening this 
this year. They're going to have things like uh, 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 Matt Serena, who runs Hub of the Hammer, is running uh, fringe trivia and trivia night things around the city outdoors over the next little while. There's karaoke events, I believe. I may, I don't hold me to it, but I believe there are. So Ted, you might have a chance. Go online to the Fringe website and go see them. They might have some open mic. Get on up on your soapbox and and deliver your <laughs> your five minute material, Ted. I don't. And maybe if you maybe if you do a great job, you'll end up in next year's I, show. I don't think they have a category for crusty old guys. But anyway, <laughs> so let's talk to William Weber, who has been a part of this in the past. What have you? This sounds terrible, but what have you done in the past at the Fringe Festival, and what do you look forward to doing this year? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be involved this year, but I have been involved uh, behind the scenes on certain. Uh, shows, uh, helped do some props running. Was never in the shows oh, myself. Oh, I see. Okay. I was, I was yeah, in, I was in the other shows. Together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Uh, I, I was in a few shows uh, outside of the Fringe Festival, uh, but unfortunately, Fringe just always sort of eluded me. But I always loved seeing it because my friends were always uh, in these mm-hmm. things in one form or another. Actually, I want to shout out very quickly a question of justice. My friend Josh Fleming uh, is <laughs> starring in that, uh, so I am. Very go, excited Josh. to see that. We're already, yeah, we're getting the plugs in. And as as we're doing that, I should mention tomorrow, uh, Rick Zamprin, Good Morning Hamilton. They're going to be talking a little bit more about Fringe Festival. We're going to have more of that on 900 CHML as the uh, as the days go on. Uh, probably, I, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but you may hear from some of the performers. Yours truly might have set a couple things up. We'll see. Uh, and uh, But all, all in all, uh, you know, you go into any of the coffee shops uh, around the city, you can go check out. This is personally, I guess, as long as we're doing shout-outs, I think a lot of people in Hamilton are excited about the Staircase Theater. Now, that's not even one of the major venues. That's a bring-your-own venue sort of situation, which means the artist who got into the Fringe Festival then had to, you know, say, okay, well, I'm in, but I need to find a venue. Well, Staircase has been uh, home to all sorts of uh, shows over the history of Fringe and even outside of Fringe throughout Hamilton. They're back. They've reopened. They've got some shows there happening this year, some of the improv comedy uh, that I talked about. Uh, you can go into a place like that or any of the coffee shops, pick up the Fringe booklet, and you'll find all the information there. Big TV guide, only it's happening right in front of you live. I'm, I'm actually very exciting because uh, excited because I'm looking right now at the website. There's a thing called Dancing Under the Stars. Yes, salsa. So I I can get out and you know do do the salsa, bust a move or a uh, hit. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> one leads to the other, and then and then I'm so excited because now they're talking deep fried curried yes. pierogies. Yes, that would be a little different. I don't know how strong it would be for... Well, that's that's also a show, Ted. That's not just... They're not just feeding you. That's a, that's a show. <laughs> I was... I, I thought it was for, uh, food. Oh, come on. Go find out. I, hey, there is food. There is food at Fringe. The uh, Fringe Fried Food Festival. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you just gave them a, a, a million dollar idea there, Weber, but... For free. Deep, yeah. But yes, that is one of the shows I've heard a lot of talk about that one, Ted. It's definitely worth checking out. And, uh... <laughs> There's another one here called Old Fart, which, gee, oh, look, there's my picture. There's There's, my picture. There's There's my Ted Michaels (laughs) category. You know, uh, and again, I don't want to, you know, zero in on one show specifically or not, uh, but there's a few different uh, ones that are I've heard some buzz about, and I guess we're allowed to give our personal opinions. Uh, There's the Too Much Information show, which already got a lot of buzz at uh, Toronto Fringe. That's uh, a couple who in the past, they met in an improv class, 
They dated for a while. They broke up. Years later, they've come back together and they formed a whole comedy routine about how their relationship fell apart. And they do an improv show every night. All right. So, so that's, that's yeah. the French Festival that starts tonight. You'll hear more about it through the uh, through the next few days here on 900 CHML. Weber and Erskine to the two wheels. Thank you very much for that. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, abnormally dry, hot heat. There are thunderstorms on the way uh, throughout southern Ontario. Some could be rather severe, but I'm kind of wondering if maybe that is not enough and we need kind of a, a full, steady, all-day or multi-day rain to kind of help the situation. Well, Dr. Chris Gillard, a professor at the Department of Plant Agriculture at the University of Guelph, joins us to uh, talk for a few minutes about the dire situation we could be in. Uh, Chris, first of all, thank you for joining us. And is that kind of a fair statement that maybe we need more rain on a, on a, a spread out basis than kind of one of those flash thunderstorms that can come up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are... Uh just getting teased with these little rains coming through the last few days. And we really need an all day soaker uh, right across the whole Western side of this province to really make a difference. So um, it is stressful. We know many farmers are dealing uh, with uh, the June and July situations. Crops are suffering. The yield that has been expected from them has been lowered. Uh, Less rain, subsequently low yields uh, will create, here it comes, Chris, a domino effect, less product, and driving up prices even more. And uh, certainly that is not a situation that anybody finds palatable. Well, it will impact the farmers of Ontario. We don't know the extent of it yet. I think the corn crop right now is really at risk in the next uh, week or so if we don't get a a good soaking rain across, uh, say, the western side of the province through to Highway 400. Um, That's where the real drought is right now. But unfortunately, Ontario uh, farmers are price takers. So the amount of crop that we produce world compared to the worldwide production is very small. So we take the price that the world markets give us um, and we're not going to have a big impact on production if we have a failure here in the province. When you break down some of the numbers, just to let people know, this month, uh, at least June rather, because this month isn't over yet. So in June, uh, average across the province, a total precipitation of 48.6 millimeters, lower than the long-term average of 82 millimeters around that time of the year. The driest June in 15 years, that's almost less than half of the uh, average uh, rainfall. I think, uh, Chris, that kind of puts a a real capper on on people knowing that it is dry, but I didn't know if they expected it to be that dry. Well, and and July's continued that trend. Uh, I agree, like June was dry. July's continued that trend. And if you think back to March and April, they were relatively dry as well. Um, And so we've been, we always say, you know, we go into the season with a full tank of gas. The soil's full of water. uh, We're good to go. But once that reserve is gone, and it's gone now, uh, once that reserve is gone, then we are completely reliant on rainfall uh, to carry us through the rest of the season. Now, next 
couple weeks. So, again, as we mentioned, uh, those uh, thunderstorms that come up, and we know that they can be rather severe, and we can get a lot of rain falling in those events uh, over a short period of time. It looks like a monsoon out there, but uh, that type of rain, again, is not what we really need. We need, you know, the steady, I would suggest, the ones that come in, you know, 10 to 15 millimeters of rain over a 24-hour period, maybe more. That's that's the best way to go, obviously. Yeah, a lot of Ontario soils can only uh, percolate in a certain amount of rainfall per hour. Uh, and if we start getting some, you know, 20, 30, 40 millimeters per hour, uh, that's just way in excess of what that soil can handle. And, and so you get runoff and, and that damages everything. So we, on the one hand, we have drought. On the other hand, we have, uh, as we say, those rainfalls and the, the rainstorms that come in. Uh, the other way, they dump a whole lot of water, but that's not the way to go. So we're, what we're looking for here, Chris, is a happy medium, I would suggest. <laughs> Everybody always wants a happy medium. And farmers are never happy, of course. You know, that's too much, too little, too late. Um, and so, but at this point, uh, given the drought that we've got, I think farmers will take rain any way they can get it at this point. So looking uh, down the road, I'm wondering, because of course when we get into August, we're talking about uh, here in the Niagara Peninsula, we're talking about the peach crop and how nice uh, peaches are and, uh, you know, picking them uh, uh, off uh, the peach tree and going to the uh, farmer's outlet and the little roadside places. Uh, Talk about the peach uh, situation. Are any indications of how that will be for those of us that enjoy that in late August? Why well, you definitely stepped outside of my area of yep. expertise. Yep. So, uh, hort crops are not my thing, but I do know most of the hort crops, because they're high value, right. uh, they have irrigation set up for them so they can you know, protect themselves in a drought like this, where field crop, field crop farmers, they simply can't afford to, uh, to irrigate the crop on a wide scale. So, so again, you're uh, you're talking about things like, for example, a soybean crop that would be affected, dry bean crops, and and things like that. So, um, when does it become? Um, and it's kind of that way now. But when does it really become a crisis situation for farmers with their soybean crops? So, look, you know, we may not have any this year. When does when does that? Uh, when could that happen? Well, the critical thing right now in the next seven days is the corn crop. If we don't get widespread rain in the next seven days, that corn crop's going to be hurt uh, and and it won't be able to be fixed. Uh, The soybean crop has a larger flowering window, so it has a better ability to respond uh, to better weather later. So uh, the next three weeks is important for the soybeans and dry beans. If we can get uh, some good timely rains in the next three weeks, we can save 90% of this crop. And that's the thing. We have to keep an eye on it and, and hope that we do get uh, some rain that all of us needed. Yes, it's been a long uh, summer so far and a hot one, but certainly not need uh, not anything in the way of uh, rainfall, and we certainly need that. Uh, Dr. Chris Gillard, professor at the Department of Plant Agriculture at the University of Guelph, thank you for taking the time. Let's keep an eye to the sky, and let's pray for some, some steady rain over the next few days, because nobody wants to kind of think of what could happen uh, down the road, so to speak. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Have a great day. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. 
scorching heat and what to do about it. And joining us for the next few minutes is the manager of Health Hazards and Vector Borne Disease Program for the City of Hamilton. Matthew Lawson joins us. Matthew, I would suggest you're rather busy for the last few days, busier than normal, huh? Well, it's certainly, uh, it is warm weather out there, uh, Ted, to be certain. Um, but uh, we like to think uh, that we need to prepare earlier than when the heat event is actually happening yep. so that we get all of these services ready. But you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's hot out there. You know, when you uh, look at your title and the vector-borne diseases, this kind of concerns me. And this is a whole different topic. But are we talking about things like when we have updates about, you know, uh, mosquitoes and all that stuff that can cause a whole lot of problems, especially when the hot weather comes? Uh, yeah, whether or not it's hot, uh, like vector-borne diseases, as you've just indicated, Ted, uh, an example of that would be a mosquito is a vector of a disease. It can carry the West Nile virus, yep. so that's exactly right. Same as, uh, uh, not same, but similar to uh, ticks and how they carry Lyme disease and can present a risk to the population out there if they don't take care and, uh, you know, pay attention to whether or not they're being exposed to tick bites. So I know that the city is proactive in trying to help people uh, cool themselves down and fight the heat. So let's kind of go through a list. Now, I know there's a lot of things that the city is doing. Uh, so if, if you would kind of let people know uh, how they can escape the heat safely. Sure. Uh, well, in terms of um, just general information for, for individuals out there about how to reduce your risk of heat-related illness... I uh, just want to stress to the listeners how important it is to remember to stay hydrated during hot weather. So drink lots of water. Uh, another very important uh, step in maintaining health is to try and get to an air-conditioned environment. Um, if you don't have air conditioning in your own home, then seek out a location where you can spend some time to get refuge from the heat, uh, such as uh a library or a community center that offers a cool space or um, a, a friend or relative's home or even, you know, a large shopping mall uh, would be able to uh, fit the bill there. Um, in addition to that, things like closing blinds and curtains to avoid the sunlight coming in, uh, you know, not exercising, and taking uh, undertaking strenuous exercise on a hot day are all ways to um, avoid getting sick from the heat. But if you're looking for refuge to take uh, some refuge from the heat, the city, this is a good opportunity to maybe plug the city's website. Yep. If listeners go to www.hamilton.ca slash heat, they will be able to find an interactive map that we have on our website that shows a list of uh, 67 spray pads uh, and swimming pools, as well as 31 cool places that the city operates, um, a combination between 20 library branches and 11 community centers across the city that the public can go to to uh, avoid the heat. Here's some really good news if people have not heard yet. Uh, Hamiltonians in the East End have a new pool in which to escape the heat and humidity. Uh, we drive past it all the time, and you look over. It was a part of Hamilton history, and it is, again, the Parkdale Outdoor Pool next to the Pat Quinn Arena has reopened after it was closed for upgrades and renovations in November 2020. I know that you're not going to take credit uh, for this, Hunter, but congratulations. The timing was absolutely <laughs> impeccable. Well, that is, that is good news. And just to point out to the listeners too, Ted, um, during a heat warning, which we are in currently, 
Um, all regularly scheduled open swims at any city pool will be free of admission. So that is really good news. Matthew Lawson is our guest, manager of health hazards and vector-borne diseases uh, from the uh, city of Hamilton. Uh, as we mentioned, there are a whole lot of places now, uh, Matthew, that have cooled down here signs. We're not going to get through the entire list because it's long, but basically, is it fair to say that any community center in the area uh, that uh, is open will have a cool-down here sign that people can find and go in and, if you will, cool down? Yeah, um, on our website, Ted, we have a list of 11 community centers across the city that will be serving as a cool down here uh, site. And so um, they should, they have been um, in the past promoting that fact with, as you might see, either a sandwich board or a clearly marked sign on a window prominently, maybe by the entrance, that indicates they can cool down here. But um, if, if you're not out and about town and you have an opportunity to check the city's website at hamilton.ca slash heat, um, all the addresses and hours of operation are listed for the 11 different community centers. And um, when we try to identify those centers, um, they are looked at from a distribution across the city perspective. So we're trying to make sure that we've got some options in, in all of the neighborhoods across Hamilton. Well, let's certainly hope that we get a little bit of respite. Uh, some rain is on the way. I know that those uh, severe thunderstorms can sometimes crop up and pop up and cause a whole lot of uh, water to be dumped in a relatively short time. We need nice, steady rainfall, but maybe after, you know, after today, the pools are open, just a little bit of rain here and there just to get the ground wet, not those big rainstorms, and, and hopefully we'll have a, a chance for people to enjoy the outdoor facilities uh, and enjoy the summer because it's been a long time because obviously a lot of things were uh, in lockdown mode for the last little while because of COVID. Matthew Lawson, the manager of Health Hazards and Vector Borne Diseases Program from the City of Hamilton. Thanks for this. Um, best of luck, and hopefully uh, it'll be relatively uh, easy for the staff now that you've got all the precautions in place and the information up, uh, making sure that everybody enjoys uh, the uh, jump in the pool and staying cool as this hot weather continues for the next little while. Thanks very much for the time. Thank you very much for having me, Ted, and for uh, speaking with listeners about this topic. <laughs> yesterday was a scorcher. Today, well, let's put it this way. Yesterday was 33. Today, it's 31. Not much of a respite. Uh, but our next guest can relate to running in the heat in the cold because he's done it all over a member of the order of canada the owner of the running room and our running guru john stanton mr stanton it's been such a long time how are you sir i'm doing good ted and before we get into it uh, congratulations on your uh, family wedding that was uh, marvelous to see all the fine photos of you and how proud you were of your daughter congratulations thanks very much on that so john uh let's uh talk now we have heard a lot of people have been saying well no you shouldn't go out for a run you shouldn't go out for a power walk you shouldn't do anything in this hot weather because you could injure yourself so let's kind of uh dispel some myths first of all um i would say john a lot of people seems now have gotten a little uh smarter when it comes to exercising in the morning versus uh, the blistering heat of uh the noon hour well, that's right, Ted. And, you know, you can still exercise, but you, you have to use some, A, common sense, and be intelligent about uh, when you're training. Uh, a couple of things you can do is, as you say, do it in the early morning hours or late evening hours when the temperatures are somewhat cooler. Uh, the other thing is anybody that's in the city of, of uh, Toronto, you know, 
pollution levels, uh, the pollution levels are always lower in the evenings and early mornings, so it's a good time to go out. The other thing is uh, it's been proven time and time again that the uh, quality of the air in parks areas is always uh, much better. So if you have the opportunity, you want to make sure you head down to the waterfront and along one of the waterfront trails or into one of the parks. Uh, Martin Goodman Trail is full of uh, great opportunities where you could go and exercise. And, you know, the, the trees uh, provide a lot of uh, cleaning up for the, the air. And uh, not only is it cleaner air, but it's cooler. Uh, so you can uh, stay cool as well. The other thing I highly recommend people do is uh, make sure to exercise in a group if at all possible. And a group can be just um, you and a buddy. Uh, it allows you to remind each other to drink on a regular basis. You know, we should be sipping water about every 10 minutes or so. Uh, the easiest thing to think of when it comes to hydration is before you exercise and go for a run, you should drink about 500 milliliters of water, which is your standard uh, water bottle, about an hour before you're going to run. Uh, you then visit the washroom and empty your bladder so that you're, you're not going to have to stop midway in the run uh, for that. And then throughout your run, you should be sipping water at about 10-minute intervals. And if you do that, you're going to keep yourself well hydrated. Some of the difficulties that we run into in the hot weather is people get dehydrated. And a lot of that soreness and stiffness and lethargic feeling that you have after a run in the summertime is sometimes because you're dehydrated. So make sure to keep yourself dehydrated. Uh, wear a cap. And if at all possible, take your water bottle with you and wet that cap down every uh, once in a while to keep it damp. And the cooling effect that it has on your head will help keep you cool as well. Uh, the other thing is uh, you see a lot of runners will take a sponge and, again, wet the sponge down and then tuck it in their shorts or in ladies in their bra top. And they can, uh, you know, sponge themselves down at periodic intervals, which is a good way to keep yourself cool while you're out there. John, I'm I'm going to draw a football analogy here because we have uh, the NFL training camp starting next week. We of course got the CFL season, but I've I've often heard that when a team is preparing to go to play in, for example, if the Buffalo Bills are going down to Miami, where it's always, as we know, it's very very humid and very hot, that they have to hydrate all week. That basically, if they hydrate, and I guess you can equate this to a marathon, a half marathon, a 10k run, a 5k run. By the time the event starts, if you haven't hydrated and you start to drink water, in many ways, John, that's too late. Fair statement? That's exactly right. And the other thing is your thirst mechanism. Sometimes if you it kicks in that you're thirsty, that's also too late, too. So you want to make sure you manage your your hydration needs. And that's where that 500 milliliters prior to exercise and taking it at regular intervals, even though you may not be thirsty, because sometimes we start a run and we're enjoying the run and the scenery and the camaraderie and, and fellowship of your fellow runners. Uh, but what happens is we neglect to, to monitor the signs that we're getting a little bit dehydrated, where if you manage it and say, I'm going to have 500 milliliters before, I'm going to have a sip every 10 minutes, uh, it's a nice way to keep your your hydration under control. And then if those that are doing a little longer runs, remember that if you're going to be out there for a longer period of time, you're you're doing what we call long, slow-distance training. And in the summertime, when it gets hot and humid, 
uh, you can slow that pace down because you don't need to run at the same intensity you would on the perfect conditions. No difference than if you get in a race and all of a sudden the race conditions are hot and humid. You're going to have to adapt to the goal that you had. And you've run races. You know that some days you get the perfect race conditions and you can go into the race and uh, just enjoy the day. Other days, if the race conditions are challenging, then you have to adapt and modify your goal to make sure that it's in relationship to the conditions of the day. You know, John, I'm I'm sitting here smiling because right now, it's as we mentioned, it's 31 degrees. So I thought to myself, if there was a race that I signed up for tonight, and of course, it's, it's really humid and really hot, and I know you have to hydrate during the race, but John, if you've ever seen me approach one of the water stations trying to grab uh, water while on the run, it is not a very pleasant thing to see, so I have to work. I understand, John, that the <laughs> marathon elite athletes actually practice coming up to the table and getting water. Clearly, that's well, something we, I've got to work do. on. It. Yeah, no, it's, it's like everything else. You've got to practice it. <laughs> you know, some of the races have straws, and you can sip it in, in there, but uh, a lot of races don't have it, so you need to know how to get, take that paper cup and squish it a little bit and make a little bit of a funnel, and that way you can get it in. Uh, to be honest, when I'm running and in races, I always suggest that people take their own water with them. That way they can have the water at the intervals that they want. Because, Ted, you've been in races. You know what happens as you go through a five-kilometer mark and think there's a water station there, and you go, oh, no, I'm not thirsty now. Yep. But 100 yards down the road, <laughs> you think, well, why should I have water? I know. And if you take your water with you, then you're, you're having it at regular intervals, and more importantly, you're having it when you want it. John, uh, uh, a physiological question before we wrap up. You talk about uh, hydrating in hot weather. Uh, does does hydrating and drinking water properly result in more pliable muscles so when you try to stretch that maybe it's not quite as, as uh, stressful as it could be if you're not hydrating? out of your body that's made up of water, uh, that'll tell you how important water is. <laughs> All right. John Stanton from the Running Room, uh, thanks for the update. Great uh, talking to you again, and, and hopefully we'll get it. John, just so you know, I, I, I took the challenge. There is a race in Burlington next month. It's the Butter Tart 5K race. John, I'm running for Butter Tarps, just so you know. That's so good. <laughs> to run. That's a, I can't think of a better one. <laughs> John, we'll talk to you uh, at some points on the circuit. Thanks very much for this. Great, Ted. Stay Thanks healthy. All right. All bye-bye. Right. Here's John Stanton, the owner of the running room. So there you have it. Drink lots of water. Um, take the water with you. Pour it on your head. If you, you know, that actually does feel, feel really, really good when you pour the water on your head when you're in the middle of a run. But, again, just basically take your time, uh, listen to your body, and there's no reason why you can't exercise safely in this heat. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Now, the Premier wants to give mayors of Toronto and Ottawa more power like U.S. mayors have. So... 
I'm wondering how, what, well, first of all, what does this mean? And does it work with the Canadian system? And we thought, you know, here's a guy who would be the best person to ask because he's a bocce enthusiast. He just came back from a trip to the British Isles where I'm sure he sampled some of the uh, dark uh, colored uh, liquids. <laughs> and he had a good time, too. That's former mayor uh, Larry Deani joins us. Larry, how are you? I am very well, and you just couldn't stay away, could you? <laughs> you know what? they Like they said in Godfather 3, Larry, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back. I, you know what? I, I'm actually, this is good for me, get a chance to get back in the seat and ask people like yourself questions. So first of all, let's talk about this uh, situation. Uh, we talked about this, uh, that some of the U.S. mayors have uh, the powers that Doug Ford wants to give the mayors of Toronto and Ottawa. Can you kind of uh, explain to us exactly what it is that the Premier's sure. talking about? Well, and so in the absence of, uh, of seeing the legislation, um, uh, I did hear him say that he's going to go through with it, and, and he's, uh, he's going to start with Toronto and Ottawa as pilot project, uh, but uh, over time even extend it to mayors right across the province, um, which, which would be a, a sea change in terms of how we're governed at the municipal level if, if he does that. Essentially, uh, what it means, if he's following the American model, uh, which they uh, call a strong mayor's system, strong because the mayor has uh, extra authority, uh, extra powers in the United States. In fact, um, in the United States, uh, and if he's following this, I mean, it'll be really a a huge change. Um, uh, When a mayor goes in, he brings his administrative team in. It's just like when the president goes into uh, uh, the presidency and they bring in, you know, the top-level uh, bureaucrats. Uh, in the United States, the mayor brings in the chief engineer, uh, the uh, the fire chief, the police chief, uh, the chief planner. He brings in all of his top bureaucrats to implement the mayor's agenda uh, because that's the system they have there. Here, of course, we don't have a strong mayor system. We have a system where the mayor has exceptional uh, abilities to control, um, you know, the uh, the agenda in terms of what he states publicly is always covered, or she is always covered uh, by the media, and the mayor has a bigger budget, and the mayor has the bully pulpit, but the mayor still has to go and convince his colleagues around the horseshoe enough of them at least, to implement his agenda or her agenda when it comes time for voting because the mayor just has one vote. In the United States, the mayor actually can decide what gets on the agenda. And if the councillors want to talk about some things and the mayor doesn't, it just doesn't get on the agenda. Uh, And, of course, that diminishes the authority of the individual counselor if that were to happen it makes the mayor totally accountable and very powerful uh, because he's got his administrative team and he's got the power to implement and veto um, what council does in some cases according to the premier Uh, but the mayor uh, also then becomes the target of a council room full of counselors who don't have power but they have the power of the of, of being able to oppose and challenge the mayor. 
Larry, this almost oh. takes me back. Sorry, this. What yeah. I'm thinking of here is you and I uh, from a certain vintage. When I use this term, you, you people I know uh, of of our vintage will understand this. Almost, Larry, almost sounds like the old for the city of Hamilton, the board of control. It was four people, and the councilors didn't have as much power as the board of control, who kind of oversaw what the mayor did. Is that a fair comparison? Well, it's fair in the sense that it concentrates certain authority in a smaller group of people. But this is even what the what the premier is suggesting. And again, we need to see what the legislation actually says. But if he's following the American model, the mayor is even more powerful than the board of control, because in that case, there was a mayor plus four that that controlled aspects of municipal governance. In this case, it's essentially the mayor that does it all by him or herself. And so it really changes the dynamic. And can you imagine what would happen in any municipality if you've got 16 councillors such as we have and only one really is making the decision? What are the other 15 doing other than maybe griping or choosing sides and trying to get the mayor's attention in terms of implementing some things that they want only if the mayor agrees? So you really are polarizing uh, the, the situation and making the mayor, yes, more powerful, but also a bigger target of municipal uh, political attacks. Another yeah. thing, uh, uh, sorry, Larry, another thing that I just talked about is uh, you're asking uh, the rhetorical question, what would the councillors do? I would suggest to you with uh, the way that the councillors uh, uh, are that it would extend the council meetings even longer than some of them go now. <laughs> It might do that because it'll be the chance, the only chance, if they haven't been part of the decision-making, uh, for them to air their opinions and, and talk about why policy may not be appropriate and so on. So it would really complicate things. But for sure, it will get things done. I mean, there's no question that uh, when you have fewer people making decisions, you can make them faster. Can you make them better, though? That really is a question that we have to ask as taxpayers. Can those decisions be better if they're concentrated in one seat? Or are they better if they're debated in the wider group and everybody's part of the government? See, the beauty that we've got right now is that, you know, there's no opposition in municipal government. Everybody is part of the government because everybody gets to vote on the important matters that come before the council. And so everybody feels or should feel that they have a stake in the decisions. Now, you know, we've had these debates and we've become polarized, uh, but at the end of the day, it's the group that makes the decision as opposed to the strong mayor system where you get the power concentrated, as, as I said, in uh, on the shoulders of one individual. So it'll be interesting to see. And, and you know, why Toronto and Ottawa? Uh, well, you know, he's got a bit of an axe to grind in Toronto, I think. Um, and it is the biggest city and you know the economic engine uh, of the country but it seems to be running fairly well ottawa by all reports has been fairly dysfunctional mm -hmm. um and uh, and maybe it needs some attention and some fixing but i haven't heard the same thing uh, in toronto i mean you know the days of his his poor deceased brother uh, are gone when when things were dysfunctional if you remember then yep council took power away from the mayor but god bless uh uh, Rob Ford, and you know, may he rest in peace. But but those were very challenging days for him personally. He was having all sorts of personal issues, 
and council felt that he wasn't in shape to make decisions, so they took them away. So is that something that's in the back of his mind uh, as well? Who knows? Uh, who knows what he may be thinking of? Uh, but, um, you know, it, it's a bold move for sure. Wasn't talked about during the election. Uh, so he's doing something now that uh, is totally out of the blue as far as I'm concerned. But it looks as if he's intent on going forward with it. All right. We'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on that. And, of course, in the upcoming election as well, which is coming up in October, municipal election. Former mayor. See, they're already calling about this, Larry. Larry DeAnne, the former mayor of the city of Hamilton. Uh, thanks for the time. Go answer that call. We'll talk to you. Uh, see you soon, maybe on the bocce court. Well, listen, it's not too late to sign up for for uh, municipal politics either, Ted. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks for that. Larry DeAnne. Larry is... <clears throat> Never mind. Uh, I am not running. I'm not throwing my hat in any ring at all whatsoever. Just thought I'd clarify that now because there is uh, some sort of a groundswell for Ted to run. No, not going to do it. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on Hamilton's News Today's Talk. 900 CHML. Well, the inflation rate is now up to 8.1% compared with a year ago. And boy, there's been a lot of people getting really, really antsy about this. So for the next few minutes to talk about this is our guest. Uh, he's the Professor Emeritus of Economics at McMaster University. Atif Kubersi joins us. Atif, first of all, thanks for joining us, taking time on a rather sticky afternoon. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Thank you for inviting me. So let's uh, talk about this now. 8.1% compared with a year ago. We had a feeling it was going to go up. Are you surprised by that number? No, not at all, actually. And the, the hope uh, that has been expressed so far that uh, energy prices are likely to go down doesn't seem to be true in the sense that uh, there was some hope that uh, Biden's trip to the Middle East might encourage, give incentives to the Saudis and other oil producers in the region uh, to increase their production. Uh, he was given the sad news that these people have already increased their production. They're producing at what is called shut-in capacity, which means this is the maximum they can produce. Saudis usually produce 10 to 11 million. They are producing now 30 million and there is no room to increase production but and so is the story with the United Arab Emirates so to some extent uh, the hope that there would be an increase in oil production that uh, brought about some moderation in the oil price last week and the week before now we're facing the new reality that probably there is no room here to increase production uh, I'm wondering, Atif, is it too simplistic to say that the um, the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, I mean, everybody's pointing the finger at Putin saying this is why gas prices are, are, are skyrocketing. Is that too simplistic to say? It's not too simplistic, uh, but it's also uh, not very accurate in the sense that we had trouble with COVID. COVID has compromised, has uh, scuttled, has made it difficult to deliver uh, oil from many areas. And we're facing that problem. Uh, but it wasn't really serious to the extent that people were locked down and that there wasn't much transportation, travel, and economic activity. So the minute that we started to recover, 
we got the other whammy, which is the uh, war in Ukraine. And what's happening is that literally 60% of the production of oil from Russia, and Russia is a major oil producer, not the largest, uh, by far still number four, uh, producer, but as exporter, it exports a lot, 7 million barrels of oil, 3 million of it refined, 4 million barrels per day uh, of crude oil, and these have to some extent been cut, if not totally, the promise is that they will be disappearing sooner or later. So what happens now, uh, kind of uh, take us through the uh, economics 101 here, that if the price of oil does come down, and it's starting to, and then we're, we're talking gas here, obviously, when people fill up their tanks, it's now just above a $1.70 average as opposed to the $2 it was uh, several weeks ago. If it continues to kind of slide down a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, how does that affect the inflation rate, or does it? It, it does. There is no question. But the the real question is, will it come down? There was some hope that uh, there would be some increase in production coming from Saudi Arabia and the Gulf oil producer, but this doesn't seem to be coming forward. But the, the story that is crucial here is the fact that uh, we will be seeing higher oil prices and that that moderation that we have experienced and was such a relief is not sustainable. It's not likely to continue. If anything, there are going to be more problems probably in the future as the uh, economies recover and then, you know, cold weather would really spike the prices up. I'm wondering, uh, we all talk about the R-word recession, um, and I understand if it's two negative quarters, uh, then we are in a recession. Is that the case now, or if it is, are people too afraid to actually say that we're in a recession? Uh, we're not in a recession yet, but there is, you know, some fear and some justified fear that if we continue to spike and raise the interest rate and if mortgage rates become extremely high and uh, if people had to uh, fork this money uh, to cover their mortgages, they would have less disposable income, less income to spend on consumption. And if prices continue to rise and they eat into the budget of uh, poor people and people at large, uh, that there would be a reduction in demand and that the reduction in demand will ultimately translate into lower production and lower employment. And that's what a recession is all about. All right. We'll obviously uh, monitor this situation closely. Our guest, uh, Atif Kabursi, Professor Emeritus of Economics at McMaster University, President of Econometric Research Limited, and former Undersecretary of the United States, uh, United Nations. Thank you very much for, for taking the time and uh, explaining this to those of us that don't really understand. Much appreciated. No, much uh, thanks for inviting me. Thank you very much. All right. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Well, if you missed the story today, Ontario is planning to give expanded powers to mayors in Toronto and Ottawa under a so-called strong mayors system. Now, the premier said the details are still to be worked out, but under the system, the mayor will be given veto power that could be overturned or overruled by two-thirds of council. The U.S.-style strong major or mayor system also typically grants mayors the power to appoint department heads and oversee budgets. Now, Municipal Affairs and Housing Minister Steve Clark said the government is consulting whether to expand the system beyond Toronto 
and Ottawa. Obviously, we want to put a plan in place, as the Premier has said, that uh, takes effect for this municipal election. But uh, the Premier and I are, are both of the same mind. We need to make sure that, especially in major cities, that uh, those mayors and those councils have the tools that they need to get shovels in the ground and help me with the housing crisis. The New Democrats question the timing of the move and putting such a system in place they say was the wrong priority. Well, to weigh in on this issue is uh, Henry Jasek, a professor from McMaster University. Henry, first of all, good afternoon. And what was your immediate response when you heard about this story? Well, I, I guess I should have been uh, ready for it. Uh, I mean, I think the uh, certainly the, the government has been uh, concerned about uh, getting things through the municipalities, and uh, they generally see that uh, ordinary councillors are usually uh, a voice for uh, stopping things, and this is a government that wants to get things done. So uh, I prob- it probably should have been predictable. Henry, I'm I'm wondering, and I, we we talked to Larry Deani about this last hour, but uh, those of us of a certain vintage here uh, can uh, re- relate to this uh, in some ways, and I don't know why. This reminds me of the old Board of Control in the city of Hamilton, where they had four people that had the power. The councilors basically didn't have any type of power at all. Is that a fair comparison? Uh, well, I think there's some parallels to it. I I do think yes. I, I mean, one one way of uh, making the the mayor even more powerful is to uh, allow him to pick uh, sort of somebody like a board of control, pick those uh, you know the councilors that he thinks are going to be sharing his views, and to uh, essentially use them as sort of like a cabinet, something like a cabinet, to uh, you know essentially um, make. Uh, you know, sift through the various issues and s- solutions and make recommendations. And with the publicity that mayor and that council, those uh, individuals will have, they think they'll they'll be able to drag along the rest of the uh, the uh, council, at least the majority of the council, to get things uh, going in, in the direction the mayor wants to go. I know, Henry, when we uh, monitor and uh, watch and listen to uh, uh, the council meetings uh, here in the city of Hamilton, they can become rather prolonged at times. Uh, mm-hmm. Some councillors can be rather uh, long-winded, as we know, and I'm wondering now, I can just see, just for the sake of argument, if this thing went through, how many councillors would be up in arms of basically almost questioning every single thing that the mayor would do? Well, they, they might very well do that. So uh, it, it's, not, you know, it's not clear how this will actually work within each city. I think each city will de- develop a certain dynamic uh, uh, around this notion. And, uh, so, uh, but but uh, with a veto, though, it uh, means that uh, some, you know, some uh, positions that uh, the mayor uh, and most of the council don't like will probably die pretty quickly. So it'll, it'll, it'll just, I think, shift the burden of uh, innovation and change to the to the mayors uh, to the to the mayors that are in there so we'll we'll have to see it'll be interesting to see whether they do that also in Hamilton but i w- i would expect that probably if they're if they're doing it uh, to Toronto and Ottawa and given the reasons they've spoken about getting things done and particularly in the housing area that that 
probably it will be extended to Hamilton. Henry, I would suggest that uh, the term dysfunctional for Ottawa City Council has been used a lot, especially this year, especially it seemed mm. to start in January with all the all the problems they had with the protests and, and, and the mayor and councillors and finger-pointing and everything else. So um, could it be said that maybe this is, maybe for the city of Ottawa, this could be a way of, if you will, smoothing and calming the waters of a rather turbulent uh, year? Well, it could be there, yeah. Uh, the interesting thing, I mean, the important thing that's going to be is what's the new mayor going to look like if he has more powers? And the existing mayor, the, as far as I know, has announced that he is not running again. Right. And so uh, we will have a new mayor. Uh, not exactly sure who, who will finally get there and what their position might be. Uh, certainly there's probably more predictability in Toronto because everybody's, you know, um, Mayor Tory looks like he's well in control of, uh, you know, of the election there. And uh, so, you know, so he's a known quality. Uh, here, of course, we're, not, we're going to have a new mayor, and we're not really sure who that's going to be. Henry, um, on that note, uh, the election is coming up in, in October, and we all know that the city of Hamilton has been woefully... Uh, uh, they they don't have great numbers when it comes to people voting for municipal mm-hmm. elections. I would hope, especially with what's been going on, and the you know there's a lot of people running in Ward Four in my ward, for example, and there's, mm-hmm. there's changes there. I would hope, Henry, and I don't know what sense you're getting that maybe uh, those low numbers would not be the case coming up this fall. Well, I think generally, if you have a real contest with for the mayor's job. Uh, you're going to get higher numbers, and I think that's what we're going to. I think we will see higher numbers simply because we're going to have a new mayor. So there's not, you know, if, uh, if there's some unpredictability there, and pe- if people think, well, it's uh, not very clear who's going to win, uh, then maybe they think their vote will count, and they're more likely to come to the polls. And if they come to vote for the mayor, they're going to come and vote on their uh, local council races as well. Interesting uh, times at uh, Hamilton City Hall, by extension, what's happening uh, could happen in the city of Toronto and in Ottawa, and the election we just got over one, and one is coming up in October. This is a, obviously a very, very important one. Henry Jasek, a political science professor at McMaster University, thank you for taking time out on this uh, scorching Wednesday afternoon. Much appreciated. Okay, my pleasure. Well, some CFL news, and it could have uh, some very deep ramifications. Saskatchewan Rough Riders canceled their practice today amid a COVID outbreak in their locker room. Team said it has 10 players in various stages of COVID protocol. What does that mean as far as our game against the Toronto Argonauts? Well, earlier today, Riders GM uh, Jeremy O'Day held a news conference and had an update. Last Tuesday, July 12th, uh, was the first time that we had a player uh, that reported symptoms, uh, COVID-like symptoms. Um, the player was tested by our medical staff. Um, at that point, the player tested positive for COVID. Um, the step that we took next is we uh, immediately tested all the close contacts that that player had um, upon testing uh, the close contacts we, we actually had uh, an additional player and one staff member that tested positive uh, for COVID. Um, what we decided to do at, at that point is we decided to test the entire team. Um, after we tested the entire team, all those tests uh, came back negative. 
the next day we actually flew out to Halifax. Um, uh, went to Halifax, uh, obviously on that Wednesday, uh, we didn't have any reported symptoms again until the day of the game, uh, which was, which is Saturday. Uh, we had one player that, uh, showed up to the game that had, uh, had COVID like symptoms, um, at which time we tested the player, um, in the locker room, I guess in the training room at the stadium in, in Halifax. Uh, the player actually tested negative, um, but due to the symptoms that were were very, uh, uh, very much COVID, uh, COVID symptoms, uh, our medical staff and our coaching staff decided that uh, the player shouldn't play in the game. Uh, we immediately isolated the player um, and we actually uh, took the player uh, to a hotel where, where he actually stayed uh, while the team flew back. Um, we didn't have any more reported symptoms. Um, so we flew back uh, from the game on Saturday night. Uh, Sunday, we retested everyone, uh, all the players, all the staff. Um, and it was reported that we had uh, three more players and two staff members that had tested positive. Um, that was a day off for the, for the players. Um, the next day, which was was Monday, we tested the players uh, first thing in the morning. We uh, had one positive test for a player and two staff tested positive. Uh, yesterday, we brought the players back in again just to test them. Uh, we had five more additional players that tested positive. Um, so same thing today, we brought them in in the morning to test them. Uh, we had one additional player this morning and one additional staff member. So our total cases uh, throughout this timeline is we had 13 players and five staff test positive for COVID. Uh, we currently have 10 players that are in COVID protocol. Three of the players have been removed uh, from COVID protocol. Um, so that's the timeline of our, of our COVID situation. And I'll go ahead and open it up for any questions you have. We'll start with Brendan. Thank you. Yeah, Jeremy, I had the hand up early. This is day three in Regina. Maybe I'm a little antsy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so as we've seen these case numbers uh, jump as you guys have been testing throughout the week, uh, mm -hmm. at what point does the reality of a game cancellation on Saturday start to set in for you guys? Yeah, so we're, you know, obviously the situation we're in, we're, we're in constant uh, communication with the league, uh, with, with Craig Reynolds, uh, with our team and, and, and all the coaches and players. Um, but the reality is, is you're, you're right to say that it, it gets, uh, we're getting very close. Um, we're not at the point where, where we're, we're changing or postponing any games, uh, at right now, but, but it is getting close to the point where, uh, it becomes difficult to have a game if you haven't had enough time to practice, um, or if, uh, you know, if you make sure you have enough uh, players to put on the roster. And if it does come down to the the inevitable uh, worst case scenario and the game does get canceled, uh, how do you guys look at making that up? Do you guys lose a bye week? Does it get made up in, a, in an extended season? Or is there a potential that the team would have to forfeit the game? Yeah, that's that's something that's uh, yet to be determined. We're, uh, Brennan, we're, we're, we're in communications with, uh, with the league uh, about possibly uh, – 
if it continues because we're kind of it's it's a very fluid situation we don't know if uh, we're at the end of it or if we will still have more that test positive so we'll, we're in communication with the league and um, as we know more on that we'll we'll report it but right now um, you know that we're just having conversations thanks Jeremy yeah Gwen Jeremy when would the the Argos need to know um, I, I'm not. I'm not sure, Glenn. It's a, it's a very good question on when they would uh, when they would have to be prepared. Um, I'm sure that uh, the league's in communication with them uh, with the ongoing situation. I know they're very aware that we're we're going through a uh, some COVID cases uh, in the building. So I think the league would be in communication with them, but um, they certainly would need time. Um, you know, they have uh, a flight scheduled and hotels, and so they would need they would need to. Uh, to, to know uh, a, few, a few days for sure. Um, and I think re the reality, Glenn, is, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to know sooner than later because, you know, there has to be some some kind of practice time involved in order for us to play a game. And it's not really a secret who that player was on Saturday. How is he today? Is he one of the players that's been removed from COVID protocols? Um, so the, the the good news is uh, the player is is now tested negative. Um, in order for him to uh, return to Regina, we actually uh, he actually stayed behind in Halifax. Um, he he was sick for a couple of days. Uh, he, he definitely was symptomatic, obviously, uh, which is which is what he told us. Um, so he's he is now tested negative, and he's he's able to fly back. We're expecting him back. Um, hopefully tonight uh, back into Regina. So uh, he's doing much better. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah. Britton? Just uh, not just the player there, but how's everyone kind of feeling? Has everyone been asymptomatic for the most part? Or have some people been dealing with some pretty severe symptoms? Yeah, we're about, uh, to be quite honest, we're about 50-50, uh, Brighton, for, for symptomatic and asymptomatic. So um, we've had some players that come in and test positive that are that are just really shocked. Uh, we've had other guys that, well, as I said, uh, the first player that alerted us to it was symptomatic. Uh, obviously, the player on Saturday was symptomatic. Um, and since, since then, we've had guys that come in the morning saying, I do have some symptoms, and then they've tested positive. So I think it's about 50-50 for uh, or symptomatic and asymptomatic right now. Well, there you have it, uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders News Conference. And when you have that many players and coming in for testing and ASIP, it doesn't sound good because what they have to do, obviously the Argos playing in Saskatchewan on Saturday, the Argos need to fly out. Uh, Saskatchewan needs to practice. The Argos need to know. Uh, I would say tomorrow is the deadline because Friday is when they would fly out and then they play the game Saturday. So uh, doesn't look good. I mean, I know they're trying to make positive statements, but it doesn't look good for the Argos and Saskatchewan, and let's hope that that, uh, that isn't the case and they do play the game on Saturday. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. This just in, boy, this Hockey Canada situation uh, is now getting very, very serious. It was not that it wasn't before. Uh, just in, police in London have now ordered an internal review of the investigation into alleged sexual assault involving members of Canada's 2018 World Junior Hockey Team. London Police Chief Steve Williams said in a statement his department's review will determine if any additional investigative avenues may exist. 
He adds that the original investigation, which concluded without charges, was lengthy and detailed. And at the same time, Hockey Canada said it will no longer use a fund maintained by membership fees collected across the country to settle sexual assault claims. Hockey Canada's so-called National Equity Fund came to light this week. The Federation continues to deal with the fallout from the alleged sexual assault and an event four years ago involving eight unnamed players and the subsequent out-of-court settlement. Hockey Canada said in a statement that effective immediately, the fund will be exclusively dedicated towards safety, wellness and equity initiatives, as well as insurance across our organization which uh, comprised uh, activities which comprised 98% of its resources between 2014 and 2021. So that situation just seems to be getting worse. Now, you talk about situations that are a little sticky. Uh, The family members of two six-year-old girls are demanding a stronger apology from Sesame Street and Sesame Place over an allegation of racism. Apology not accepted so far from the family and attorneys of two young black girls who appear to have been snubbed by a Sesame Place character at Sesame Place. We reject any notion that the performer's actions this past Saturday was anything short of intentional. Family attorney B. Ivory Lamar says the family deserves a more genuine apology than the two statements already given. Sesame Place promising to take action, including better training of employees. The six-year-old girls were seen on video, arms outstretched for the character Rosita, but apparently being waved away, the family says, in favor of other white children. Derek Dennis, ABC News. Well, that's uh, quite the story there. Uh, Derek Dennis has been a busy boy because he is now telling us about beaches around New York City have been closed to swimmers. Because of sharks. Beach season not so good along the sand and surf in the New York City area. Swimmers told to stay out of the water after numerous shark sightings just off Rockaway Beach, Jones Beach, and elsewhere. People came in and started um, asking everybody, get out of the water, there's some sharks in it. A lifeguard says he saw one. It was five to six feet, 25 yards out, um, and it definitely had the triangular fin. Too close for beachgoers who couldn't get out of the water fast enough. Red flag warnings are up. As for why the influx of sharks, some experts suggest warmer water tied to climate change could be a cause. Derek Dennis, ABC News. I love this because, of course, I'm old school. A musical entertainment staple from the 80s is making a comeback. And I love it because I go back in time to this. Will Gans has more. Entertainment data tracker says cassette sales are nearly doubling to 343,000 from 2020 uh, to last year. So they're on Track to see sales growing again this year. Artists including Billie Eilish and Ozzy Osbourne recently sold music on cassettes. Analysts say nostalgia is fueling sales, particularly since the release of the newest season of Stranger Things. Now, what uh, I also find out is though, when you do have uh, cassettes, then they sometimes, you know, they get stuck and you pull them out and then it gets kind of chewed and then the cassette is gone and then you got to get the 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 cassette out it's it's just horrible it's just horrible by the way uh changing topic uh, when it comes to the heat today some really good news after a year and a half of work the parkdale outdoor pool is reopened just in time to receive relief from the heat the facility opened its doors a 3.2 million upgrade including a beach style entryway accessibility ramp water features and a 2500 square foot change house Mayor Eisenberger said he grew up in the Parkdale neighborhood. 
He remembers swimming at that pool. This is a fantastic facility and it's great for this neighborhood and community to have an upgraded uh, facility here for the, especially now given the heat that we're experiencing at, uh, here across the world in fact. Now keep in mind all regularly scheduled swims at city-owned pools including Parkdale are free of charge while that heat warning remains in place and hopefully that is the case that uh, it'll kind of uh, die down a little bit. Uh, we'll expecting to get some rain relatively soon. It could be in some places really, really heavy with uh, torrential downpours and also strong winds, maybe some hail as well. So please make sure that uh, everything is taken care of if you are venturing out when that uh, nasty weather comes into play. Well, that has been an interesting program. Things are shifting by the day. We'll keep an eye on that Saskatchewan Rough Riders story and see what they do. I uh, think probably, as we say, tomorrow will probably be the uh, deadline, yay or nay. But I would suggest with 10 players that have been fighting COVID, um, and even if you've you've gotten through COVID, you still don't feel right for a while. Look at Andre de Grasse, the 100-meter medalist from Canada pulled out of the uh, 200 meters at the World Track and Field Championships uh, in Oregon because he ran the 100 meters after coming back from COVID and said he didn't feel right. He finished well back in the pack. You could see that he wasn't feeling right. So we'll see if the Rough Riders do that. And uh, also, we should remind you that the Tiger Cats are in B.C. Uh, tomorrow night. It is a 10 o'clock start here on CHML. And half an hour after the game, Dave Woodard will be in with the fifth quarter for your comments about... Uh, that game, the Tiger Cats getting ready to play the BC Lions. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. We'll have more on all these stories, and I'm sure things will change tomorrow as well. This is 900CHML and 980CFPL, London. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.